rust. Manjeet was barely nine at the time of the tragedy. Ever since, he has measured the passage of time in layers of rust. He lost everything and more on that fateful night when the anti-Sikh riots of 1984 broke out in Delhi. He remembers very little from the happy yet brief childhood he spent in his father's garage near Chandnichok. Cars involved in accidents used to be dented and painted in the garage. Often, unsettled claims and lengthy insurance procedures would make it an indefinite wait before repairs began. Lying in a state of neglect, the very cars would rust away. Cats and birds would stake territorial claim over bonnets, boots and glove compartments. They would settle in various parts of the rusting cars. Manjeet clearly remembers the brown shadow of rust encroaching upon the metal like vines creeping up neglected walls. Vines fill up crevices, whereas rust leaves deep voids, an impossible-to-fill emptiness. A vivid memory of bright colors flashes in front of Manjeet's eyes. He remembers the spray of car paint that would announce the change in fortune of a dented car. Manjeet would eagerly watch the car being readied for delivery, but his fondness for the color of rust remained constant. He would dream sweet dreams while lazing in those abandoned cars, envisioning a life, a future away from the clatter of hammers that his father slammed all day against the stubborn and bent out of shape steel. He clearly remembers the color of rust on the iron bars in the window of the orphanage. The rusting bars he often held. He would stare into the barren backyard waiting for no one to come, while his hands grew bigger around the bars. Manjeet has been trying to shut it out, but the memory of it all remains as constant a companion as his own shadow. The smell of charred flesh and the images of thick smoke just refused to leave his senses even 25 years later. How can one night last forever? He often screams this question out loud in his solitude. He has run far from the bustling crowds to find the right answer, yet it eludes him. Out here at Waga border, in this wilderness imposed by political will, only echoes from his past return to haunt. There is no cure for his malady of grief. He has decided on silence to be his soulmate and has made a strange truce with his misfortune, a barter for the stolen years of his adolescence and an even more tragic youth. Rust, he believes, is the only constant in his life. It arrives with the dawn and leaves at dusk. Nothing escapes rust. Even the blue waters rust at dawn and dusk. Rust is the only companion that lends an ear to his soliloquies. A wind cuts through the barbed fence from the other side, complaining loudly of festering wounds. This fence that tells India from Pakistan, 
bisects Waga village into two halves. These two halves have remained incomplete and unhealed since the partition of India. They are two wailing stumps from the same tree that was severed decades ago. A piece fell on either side of the border. This fencing is now a part of the landscape, a shared view between India and Pakistan. Another rusting presence for Manjeet that begs his acceptance. Just like the rusted kitchen knife that led to his wife, Harjeet Kaur's death four years ago. One timely tetanus shot is all she needed. But life is vulnerable to ignorance. Falling prey ever so often. Manjeet is convinced that rust is his insufferable companion. It stays within sight. Every day, everywhere. In the last few months, Manjeet has had little reason to complain against rust. For it brought the Indian Army Javans in hordes to work on the project involving the replacement and electrification of the Waga border fencing. Manjeet's little shop that offers BSF Javans the best tea within a 15-kilometer radius has been doing roaring business. Apart from good tea, it provides the Javans hours of leisure away from the banality and stifling compulsions of their mess. But these visitors are now leaving. The last batch retreated to the base station a couple of days ago. Silence leaves no vacancy. It pours into all available space. These days, only regular BSF Javans saunter in after their shifts of keeping vigil. To cut through the mesh of silence, they share jokes, talk about cricket, politics and much-awaited letters from home. Manjeet watches the rings of steam escape the spout of the cattle, taking along with them his fleeting memories. He's pouring tea for Dharam Singh, the burly six-and-a-half-foot-tall Javan. Dharam Singh is certainly not his favorite customer. He hails from the saffron-waving belt of Rajasthan. The moment Manjeet sees Dharam's sun-baked face, He's reminded of the sloganeering and imploring cries of 84 that still ring in his ears. The permanent lines around Dharam's eyes have stretched their branches down to his high cheekbones, a result of constant squinting in the strong sun at Waga in the summer. Tea leaves the spout of the cattle as Manjeet pours it into the glass held two feet below. It descends, a waterfall with steam peeling away like dead skin, and every drop of tea falls obediently into the glass. Not a drop dares to spill over the rim of the glass, respecting its borders. Dharam watches Manjeet flaunt his practiced skill repeatedly. He's contemplating his own role in the sloganeering propaganda at the lowering of the flag ceremony held each evening at Waga. Both India and Pakistan display their rehearsed wrath with patriotic fervor during the execution of this animated ritual. Dharam sometimes wonders 
if he has enlisted to be a stage artist in a theatre troupe. Dharam Singh feels the ache rising to his knee from the base of his heel after yet another exhaustive session of goose stepping and the exchange of unpleasantries with Rahmat Khan. The Pakistani soldier who stands equally tall is his counterpart at the crescendo moment of the ceremony. Sunlight glints off badges, bearing their names as they exchange glances, looking into each other's eyes, measuring and feigning loathing day in and day out, to delight a large crowd that assembles on either side of Vaga border. Having settled into this staring down routine, Dharam has begun to read Rahmat's moods and fears. He believes Rahmat must be reading into his thoughts as well. Maybe Rahmat can tell that Dharam's wife, Gayatri, has not seen a letter in the last two weeks and that he's missing his eight-year-old son, Ranvijay. Dharam has been carrying the weight of this anxiety on his eyelids each evening to the staring down contest. And he knows Rahmat's tough exterior is only a charade for the onlookers. When Dharam looks into those brown eyes, they fail to conceal the empathy they extend. One human being to another, not a Pakistani to an Indian. Dharam returns from his thoughts to take refuge in the sips of his sweet milky tea, stronger than usual, brewed to a darker brown, tasting of a dislike he often senses in Manjeet's behavior. Manjeet's tragic story is often discussed by the Javans in the barracks. Dharam has empathy for the man, but knows that Manjeet loathes the idea of a Hindu sympathizing with him. The air between them is usually heavy. Silence sits like a paperweight on unsaid words, with neither willing to acknowledge it or lift it. The past has a way of casting its shadow in the eyes and Manjeet's eyes have lingered far too long in the past, always appearing distant and forlorn. The sun has quietly slipped out of the ceremony grounds along with the crowds. Even the tough soldiers who raised their decibel levels a few minutes ago now amble back to their quarters, retiring from patriotism. Retiring to be vulnerable, to be human again. Dharam will perhaps be the last customer of the day at this final refreshment outpost on the Indian side, whose rusting signboard reads, Manjeet Tea Stall. Both Dharam and Manjeet are aware of the common thread that ties the far posts of their lives. The same thread lunges into view suddenly. It is a string tied to a kite at one end and to harjas at the other. The restless kite is another anxious aspirant for freedom in this sad landscape masked by fear. Fear flourishes here like dense undergrowth. Like a weed, it eats up all available space in this no man's land. Yet this place lies not too far from the laughing rows of sunflowers and the swaying mustard fields and their keepers on either side of the border. 
Harjas is nine years old. He's Manjeet's only son and Manjeet, his only parent. Manjeet senses the presence of a thread, hears the hiss of the kite swerving through the wind and impulsively looks up in the sky. An indigo slice of the sky is dancing gracefully to the tune of the wind. Manjeet finds a smile in the attic of his heart, usually too filled with grief, because that piece of sky on the move tells him that Harjas is close by. The kite swerves to the right at the behest of a wanton breeze and takes a sharp dip. Harjas has his heart in his mouth for a moment. He knows Manjeet will not get him a new kite for another week. Harjas gets his special kites from Hossein Ustad, the kite maker in Amritsar. Only when Manjeet goes to get supplies for his shop once a fortnight. Harjas controls it well this time, the index finger commanding the string with a newly acquired dexterity. Instantly the kite obeys and rustles with an urge to fly again, as if strung to Harjas's heart. He feels proud of his own feet and smiles at the kite's faithful obedience. Dharam's eyes follow the kite with equal keenness and he wears a smile. A master, happy to see the progress of his apprentice. He's been teaching Harjas on the sly. But Manjeet has no clue of this alliance. Dharam sips the second cup of tea and recollects Harjas' plea to teach him when Dharam narrated stories of kite flying from his own childhood. These stories were of exploits with paper and string weaponry. As a boy, Dharam had won many a competition. He proudly curls his whiskers as he recalls the battles won and the trophies lined up on the pastel green cement slab back home in Durgagar. Harjas wants to master the art of kite flying so that he can go to Amritsar and compete with his cousins during Basant next year. Dharam, too far from his own son, needs more than words and fleeting references and letters from Durgakar to compensate for his son's passing childhood. He yearns for something more tangible. Ever since he held a kite for the first time and taught Harjas how to string and tame the colorful loafer of the skies, a fondness for the boy has taken root in his heart. Manjeet watches the kite dart in different directions in the sky. It obeys the restless winds that cradle it. His eyes scan the empty blue dome that stretches endlessly. No islands of clouds are adrift. Not a bird in sight dropping anchor in the deep blue ocean. Manjeet feels responsible for his son's inheritance of solitude. He wants Harjas to play with his classmates, but the boy shows a growing dislike of crowds. He's perfectly at ease in his own company. Harjas, a slender figure in the distance, writes his travelogue on the wind. The kite dips again, this time to pay obeisance at the Targa of the unknown dancing dervish. 
It traces an arc and swerves back towards the sky, whispering a couplet in his praise in paper breaths. The caretaker Fakir, who sweeps the floor of the Dargah, smiles at Harjas. The unknown dancing Darvish speaks through mysterious ways, grants his sobat to the chosen souls, exclaims the Fakir. He mutters a quatrain by Baba Bulle Shah under his breath, drops his broom and breaks into a rapturous dance to the rustle of the kite. Borders are strange places. Hate and suspicion might render the air unbreathable, yet love and faith filter in somehow. A mysterious god force fills the pitcher of silence and passion spills over the brim of all the pining souls who dwell in the cursed silence here. Dharam Singh's eyes follow the kite's move and he swells with pride to see his apprentice apply the moves he has taught him over the last few months. Music and kite flying are Dharam's passions. He turns up the volume on his radio set and changes loyalties without a prior warning, playing a Lahore station one minute and shifting to an Amritsar station the next moment. Dharam feels that the razor-sharp fences at the border probably rip through the winds. India and Pakistan are at war in the air that carries the radio waves too, fighting for supremacy. But all that the listeners get to hear at the border is cacophony. But the kite is a great dancer. She knows the wind and she knows the music too. She will swerve and swoon in perfect sync. Dharam Singh squints at the kite against the sun and wonders at the sanity of his own thoughts. He worries that the goose-stepping, the brewing of hatred and this barren life in the wilderness are driving him insane. Manjeet looks up at the sky and he knows the day will begin to rust soon and the sun will jump over the border fence leaving a trail of dusk. It is about time he shut shop for the day. He thinks of calling out to Harjas to lower the kite and help him. But the warmth of the smile on his son's face tugs at his heart and the light of joy shines stronger than the setting sun. Manjeet decides against it. He wants him to enjoy his kite flying for another 15 minutes. A wind picks up. The rusting pans and metal wares hung at Manjeet's tea stall begin to play like chimes. He looks at a dust cloud building up in the distance and hastens to close the stall. Dharam decides to walk back to the barracks and reread the last letter from home. But his eyes never leave the kite and Harchas. As he walks back, he too feels the wind getting stronger and contemplates yelling to Harjas to get the kite down. But the thought of Manjeet's disapproval holds him back. He walks on, not wanting to put the child in any trouble. The wind has a different plan. The dusk rushes in as a wandering cloud decides to join the conspiracy. Harjas remains oblivious to it all, the wind, the dusk and destiny. Winds can be cruel to little children. This one hurries to snatch a boy's precious kite and does it in one stroke. The string comes undone 
and her just looks on helplessly as the wind carries the kite far from him. He realizes that his only kite for a week is going to cross over to the other side of the border. In one decisive moment, he begins to run after it. His eyes well up, his vision blurs, he keeps running towards the barbed fins. Rahmat the Pakistani ranger watches the little boy and his eye automatically peers down the telescope mounted on top of his gun. Dharam Singh turns around to check on the kite and harjas for one last time. He sees a silhouette darting across the vast expanse of dry soil, kicking up the dust lured by a kite rapidly floating out of his reach. Dharam casts a quick glance at Manjeet who is busy battling with the rusted lock that secures his tea stall. The key is refusing to turn. Manjeet is oblivious to the fact that his son is running after a kite towards the fence. He is within shooting range of Rehmat Khan, who is on vigil across the border. Rehmat has standing orders to shoot anyone attempting to intrude. Dharam assesses the situation and darts for Harjas. Meanwhile, the wind lets go of the kite. It now gets entangled in the fence. The twisted barbed wire clasps the string firmly. Harja sees his helpless kite going in circles and he hastens his tiny steps. Dharam too picks up pace. Rahmat Khan is peering down the telescope. Beads of sweat begin to form on his tense brow. He feels the same wetness in his palms and the fingers on the trigger. Harjas is relieved to see his kite waiting for him to set it free. Manjeet's lock finally relents and the key turns. He turns to call out to Harjas. He sees Dharam Singh darting towards the fence. As he looks further, he notices Harjas and the tangled kite in the distance. Dharam Singh is aghast to see Harjas reach out for the kite with his hand. He wants to yell but he can't find his voice. Rehmat Khan is alert and his hand is ready on the trigger. He has taken aim and closed one eye. Manjeet breaks into a frantic run behind Dharam. The dust storm arrives to take everything in its fold and helps the kite break free from the fence. Dharam kneels down and cries inconsolably with his face in his hands. He's yelling out his own son's name, Ranvijay. Manjeet falls to the ground. Rahmat lowers his head behind the gun. He drops his weapon, kneels on the ground and raises both hands in prayer. Harjas lies electrocuted by the fence in Dharam's arms. A kite sails across the border while a dying sun paints the sky rust.